0: You're listening to the Bible Brush Up podcast. We are currently walking through the prophetic writings, and we have arrived at several of the smaller books in the prophetic section. And uh, some of these that we're currently reading are post-exilic, and uh, that's where we're going to spend our time today, is talking about those writings that come after the exile. Now, we have not arranged our reading plan, that is going through these prophets in any chronological order. So we'll be jumping back and forth uh, in time, but some of those that we're currently reading, like Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, were written after the people of Israel were released from Babylonian captivity, and they were sent back to re-inhabit the area of Judah and the people uh, return to Jerusalem. They start rebuilding the walls of the city, and eventually they will rebuild a temple. And during this time, there's a lot that needs to happen. They've been gone for 70 years. The landscape has changed drastically. There are new neighbors that they have to deal with. The political landscape is completely different. Cyrus is now in charge um, because the Babylonian kingdom fell to the Persians. And this is why the Israelites were released to go back to their land in the first place. Uh, Cyrus had a different mentality when it came to global domination, whereas the Babylonians and pretty much everybody that came before them believed that when you conquered a land, you took their key people back to your land and you made them acclimate to the culture that you were trying to Uh, force on the world. And so if it was uh, the Babylonians, they were trying to create Babylon worldwide. And when it was the Assyrians, they were trying to create Assyria worldwide. They wanted the people to eat like them and to dress like them and to talk like them and to worship the same gods. But when Cyrus comes on the scene, he has a different mentality. And maybe just because of the Uh, record that we have with these other countries that dominate, they don't stay in power very long. Uh, Before you know it, someone rises up and takes over. And so it could be that Cyrus is coming up with a new game plan in order to hopefully have some longevity as the world superpower. And so he allows the conquered areas to remain in their land and to continue to worship their own gods, and uh, Cyrus is even going to fund some of the return and the rebuilding program that's going to take place in Jerusalem. Um, And so this is why we see the Israelites released, and they are released in waves. Not everybody comes back all at once, but uh, you've got some people coming initially, and then a second wave, and then a third wave. Um, But as these people come, you end up with specialized uh, individuals that can help with some of the rebuilding. And so we've got Nehemiah who it comes back and he sees the walls in shambles and he begins the rebuilding plan of the walls. And we have Ezra coming and r- helping reestablish the law. And then you have Zerubbabel who is going to be the Davidic heir who is going to. Um, continue the line of David there, and he is responsible for the rebuilding of the temple. And so each of these figures comes back, and they are uh, a part of the uh, prophetic vision that is given during this time period. And uh, these newly established Israelites have uh, a lot of guidance that is needed because it's sort of depressing to return to your homeland and say, okay, well, what now? Um, You know, had we had not been taken captive, we would be uh, going to the temple today to celebrate the great feast. But look, there is no temple. There's nothing. And the surrounding neighbors are somewhat hostile to any attempt to rebuild because they're not happy with the Israelites. The Israelites have been their enemies. And many of these people were a part of that um, League of Nations that had formed an alliance uh, that we read about in Isaiah that became uh, a thorn in the flesh of Judah and Jerusalem. And so now when these uh, inhabitants return, they are being Persecuted by the neighbors that were their enemies prior to captivity. The history doesn't go away. We see that at play in uh, modern times, that things that happened in the past continue to linger on and continue to have an effect. And things were no different back then. And so the prophets come to them, the post exilic prophets, um, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, to encourage the Israelites to do as God has commanded to rebuild and to look forward to better days. And there are times ahead that are going to be prosperous, but there are several things that the people need to consider, and not everything's laid out crystal clear. You don't have a detailed roadmap of what needs to be done in order for God to restore Israel to its full glory, nor do you have a roadmap to the destruction of the enemies, because those are two things that need to happen. Um, But there are some ambiguities uh, at play in these prophecies. And in fact, um, at times you wonder if this entire book of like Zechariah, for say, is in a loop because you get prophetic utterances of restoration and glory, and then you'll get one of destruction again. And is it going to be that Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt and then destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed and rebuilt back and forth, back and forth eternally? Or is the prophet just giving you different aspects of the same um, same future prediction uh, that he has laid out, where you're getting different glimpses of how the destruction is going to come, and you're getting different glimpses of restoration uh, from different angles, One important thing to remember as we reflect over these writings is that covenant. Uh, You just can't forget the covenant that was established between God and the people of Israel. You go all the way back to Sinai. You remember what was said um, and what was agreed to between God and the people. And God had said that if they would obey God and uphold the covenant stipulations, then God would bless them and he would build them this land and protect it and he would take care of the enemies. And that's really what's being discussed in the prophets, uh, even here in the post-exilic prophets. It's a discussion about those covenant agreements. And so Zechariah 6.15 is a good example. It says, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so that word if is important. That's a conditional clause. That means that God is going to restore Israel, but the timeline really isn't set in stone because it is conditional upon the obedience of the people coming into the land. Um, He even makes a reference later on, that the people that preceded them, the reason they went into captivity in the first place is because the hard-heartedness of their forefathers. And uh, he even refers to them as diamond hard. Their hearts were diamond hard. They're so hard that God has to bring destruction. And it's no different for this generation that's coming back to the promised land. Yes, they have an opportunity to rebuild. Yes, they have an opportunity to restore Israel to its former glory. But if they continue to be hard-hearted, just like their forefathers were, why would God treat them any differently? He's not going to allow a rebuilding of the temple if the people continue to have diamond-hard hearts. He's not going to allow um, prosperity in the land, and rain, and blessing, and, and crops, and Um, reproduction. He's not going to allow all of that that is the blessing of the covenant if the people don't uphold the covenant. They get the same fate as their forefathers if they act like their forefathers. And so hard-heartedness becomes a central issue here, and Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi are reminding them of that, that they need to get their hearts right with God. They need to honor God. They need to uphold the covenant stipulations, and if they don't, then they can expect disaster to come. And perhaps as Zechariah jumps back and forth between the blessings and curses that he describes, um, the restoration of Israel, but also the destruction of Israel, it could be that Zechariah is getting a kaleidoscope view that has both visions of future destruction that occur at different times throughout the history of Israel, uh, maybe even seeing some of our um, chaos in that part of the world today. Who knows? But uh, certainly he may be seeing events like 70 A.D. unfold. But at the same time, he sees glory. He sees restoration. He sees, um, most likely, events that are connected to the Messiah. And so Jesus coming to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey is one of the fulfillments that takes place from the book of Zechariah that is recorded in the book of Matthew and some of the other gospels because Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem and the people are yelling Hosanna and ready to embrace him as king. I think this is very important for interpreting the book of Zechariah because we begin to see that the prophets link a lot of the restoration prophecies to Jesus, and or at least the New Testament authors see it that way. When they're describing the fulfillment of these prophecies, uh, they link it to Jesus' coming. And that, at least at a bare minimum, inaugurates the restoration process. Uh, and I think a lot of what's said about Israel being restored and the people of God, Uh, receiving the blessings uh, that are described in these prophetic books are linked to the people of God in the New Testament because they are connected to the true Israel, who is Jesus. Jesus is true Israel, real Israel at its its pinnacle. Um, And so he fulfills the Israel narrative of the Old Testament. He becomes everything Israel is supposed to be. He upholds the covenant stipulations. And since he is the fulfillment of that covenant, and since we are connected to him in our union with Christ, then God blesses Israel, a.k.a. Jesus— and in doing so, blesses the church who is connected to him. And we are now a people of every nation that are gathered together. And that's why some of these prophecies in like Zechariah describe um, the people from all the other nations grabbing the robes of the Israelites who are coming to Jerusalem, to the presence of God, because God is in their midst. This is like a very small sub-theme in Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah two. 5 says, and I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Zechariah 2.10 says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, and behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Uh, Zechariah 2.11, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and, I shall, and shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst. You see, they, n- these nations come to God As He is in their midst. And then we get to the New Testament and we have Emmanuel, God with us, who is in the midst of the people and now unites people from every nation, tribe and tongue together. And so this is just one of the ways I think that we need to interpret the book of Zechariah. And that's not always easy because Zechariah is a book that is written in part, at least in the apocalyptic genre. Uh, It's not a narrative where you get a storyline beginning and things unfold in sequence chronologically And you get one event after another, and you can just hear the story. It's not like that. And even the normal prophets have a genre of their own that is a little more poetic, but oftentimes it's a little bit easier to understand. However, you get to Zechariah and Daniel, and you get what's called apocalyptic genre where you get these extremely extravagant images, like these women with stork wings who fly a basket with a woman inside the basket, um, and they take her... Away. And this is a depiction of Babylon taking Israel away or Judah away because of her sinfulness. Um, and so we got to be careful as you decipher these various images and make sure you draw the right conclusions. But uh, ultimately, we want to interpret this book uh, not just based on what we think the images are, but we want to draw connections to what the New Testament says about these images. And um, there are many places in Revelation and other books of the New Testament that are quoting the book of Zechariah, and you can start to draw a better interpretation based on um, those connections that you make to the New Testament text. We're going to stop there for today, and we will pick it up next time on the Bible Brush-Up Podcast.